Welcome to the SOB Podcast. Everything fun about family dysfunction with your hosts, Shannon Livingston and Joe Lobosco. This podcast covers it all from mobsters to motherhood and strip clubs to Sunday school with candid conversations on everything from surviving to thriving. And welcome to another episode of the SOB podcast, the son of a bitch podcast. And I am the bitch, Shannon Livingston. And I really am tired of doing this every time. The intro? (laughs) Put on your big boy pants and just say your name. I'm the son and I'm Joe Labosco. And we're here to talk about... um, entertainers well not really entertainers not anymore we're here to talk about the sex industry this is part two of the two-part series could be a lot more parts i don't know we'll see we'll see how this one goes but the the last time we talked about strip clubs Mm -hmm. so the sex industry really in in that structure Um, brick and mortar in the brick and mortar model and you know how you make cash in different ways from the clubs and so in the last episode we left off uh in kansas city and i was working in clubs that were not as nice as the clubs in texas where where i came from and it was managing or had some managerial role in these places and became aware that these girls were doing these these jobs outside of, um, of the club. And some of them were just, you know, straight up hookers. And some of them were really, really smart about business. And, uh, most of them at least were doing bachelor parties. Mm -hmm. So some of them were doing one-on-ones, but most of them were, were doing bachelor parties because that's not something that the club did. And, uh, so I, I learned what they were doing and how they were doing it. And, they were fucking it all up. They they did not have any business sense at all. They did not work together. Um, you know, they didn't have a referral network. So if they couldn't take a job, they just let it go instead mm. of referring it to someone they knew and getting a piece of it. Uh, you know, same thing. They didn't have anyone referring business to them because you can't work every job. Right. No matter how you try to structure it, you can't work every job. So I, I came in and I kind of started advising them. I started going on these bachelor party jobs with them. And at the time, I think when I first started going, I was already sick. And so, um, I had a breast implant that had ruptured and made me very sick. I go into that detail on uh, another episode, the, the plastic surgery episode. Yeah. But so I actually had I think one breast at this time and was just stuffing the other side. So I wasn't doing not any good for business, not great for business. So I wasn't doing any, any dancing or anything like that, but I was working security and organizing these jobs for them. And I met this one woman, Kelly, who didn't work in a club. She had worked in a club in another state years ago, but she was actually a nursing administrator. She was very educated, yeah, that's right. very good at, at what she was doing and making money. But she had made a lot of money in the clubs uh, before. And, you know, she wanted extra money and she figured she could pick up a couple of jobs on a weekend and 
you know, make five, 600 at, at least and, and have that as extra. So that's what she did. So she had started this kind of more structured bachelor party service. She had mm -hmm. business cards. She kind of had rules. She had pricing. So I started hanging out with her and we built this business together with the girls that she had worked with, the girls that I had met in the clubs, uh, and just a couple of the girls that I knew that I knew could do a good job and make money and they couldn't pay their bills. They were out, you know, flashing their tits at concerts all day long, but they they didn't have the sense to put that into any, any type of a business model. So, so I, I, I learned the bachelor party, uh, service part of that. And sometimes the girls would disappear or, uh, you know, and they would go off and try to do things with, with men that I was not comfortable with. Uh, -huh. uh and the bachelor parties were a lot to, to keep up with. It was a lot of security, it was, you know, you've got 10, 15 really drunk guys in a house that you're not familiar with. And it's just you and another girl or maybe two other girls. And I was not carrying a, a gun into those uh, parties. I think all I had was my phone. I had the, the radio and a phone. So, you know, they thought that there was security out in the car. Right. And in fact, I had people ask a couple of times, Oh, don't you girls have security? And I would say, you know, of course, like he can hear everything that's going on in here. Yeah. Um, none of that was true. None of that was true, <laughs> but they didn't know. Yeah. And if you just acted, you know, confident and confident, then that's what happened. But so things evolved more, you know, so it evolved from the clubs to bachelor parties. And then I learned that these girls at the bachelor parties we're making appointments with these guys that they met at the parties for one-on-ones uh -huh. and a one-on-one -on -one could be anything from, you couldn't call it a massage because that required a license, but they called it a body rub or yeah, a body rub or a private dance. You know, say, Oh, do you know, do you, would you like a private dance? Or, um, and it was really whatever the guy said that he wanted, you know, uh -huh. yes, I want you to dance for 20 minutes and, you know, then I want to look at your feet for, for 10 or there's some sort of pay structure there. Um, mm. the way that they were doing it initially, it was all over the place. Mm. And so that was kind of where I came in also, but it, it was, um, you know, there's something in the universe where what you put out comes back and they must've been putting out some really freaky shit because let me tell you most of the clients that they had uh that kelly had certainly and some of the other girls that she had worked with it it was pretty much straight up fetish work so you know that was good and bad i guess the the good <laughs> of it for me and the girls that were were working with us was that there wasn't traditional sex yeah. so you know you didn't have the the fluids and uh, cleaner, generally probably and, safer. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, um, the, the physical, I guess, positions, no pun intended that you have to be in as a woman, uh, you know, to deliver that kind of service, I guess. So it really was more fetish stuff. And when I say fetish, it's some of it was really weird. Some of it was, you know, just, um, really, it was all psychological. Something yeah. had happened with these guys at some point that made such an indelible mark that they felt like they had to recreate that in order to either achieve orgasm or have emotional fulfillment mm -hmm. or 
whatever it was. Uh, so that was really what this whole, you know, I, I don't even like to call it a, a service, but that's kind of what it evolved yeah. into. Okay. What segment of society were most of these people coming from? These were men that, first of all, it was a, a $500 an hour. Oh, wow. And you had to hire two girls mm -hmm. your first time for safety sure. and to be exposed to two of the people on staff because you met on staff, I say, um, the people in the organization, let's so say, that you could say, because you I may like think you like the brunette, yeah. but you really click with the blonde uh -huh. and you know, you, you never knew. So I always wanted to, to have the guys exposed to different people. Plus they, you know, they like to keep it fresh. They, some of them get attached to one particular one. Some of them like different ones, but just to make sure that everybody was safe and to price them out. Uh -huh. If you couldn't afford that first time, you're not going to be coming back. Right. You know, we don't want any one hit wonders and it was referral only. So it was, you know, only people that we knew somehow, uh, however that was, but most of them were very wealthy, successful CEOs, business owners, um, people that psychologically have to, for domination particularly, uh -huh. people that have to give up or like to give up power usually are very stressed out from the power that they have during the day. And, you know, that's another thing. Women get so freaked out when their husband doesn't come home because he's out at the bar late on a Friday night or, or whatever. That's not when the freaky shit happens. Mm -hmm. Tuesday afternoon, <laughs> Tuesday lunch hour. That was the busiest time ever. You knew your Tuesday was going to rock and roll. I guess they like, they were stressed out from the weekend maybe. And Monday they had to kind of get in the groove of work. And then Tuesday, like that was it. They were ready for their one-on-one. -on -one. That's funny. And um, so they all had different things. You know, one, one guy wanted you to sit across the room from him naked reading a magazine and just ignore him <laughs> even if he talked to you or whatever just ignore him and read the magazine and so you know the rule was like, my wife pays too much attention you, whatever the reason was i didn't give a shit right yeah. we just charged him we sent the girl take the money uh, but it was a, a half hour minimum because once you got to know the guys and what they needed and whatever you usually wrapped it up in 30 minutes so that's 250 so you were going to make 250 just for showing up. And then if you negotiated for more, you know, maybe the guy had a, a foot fetish and you had said that you were going to come and like massage him with your feet. But now he wants to paint your toenails and that's another half hour and you have to, you know, negotiate more. Um, so I, I always took 25%. And then if they, um, if they negotiated that guy to stay longer and make more, I didn't take any of that. That was up to them. If they wanted to give me a tip as part of that, they could. So you just made your money up front. I made my money off of the base. I didn't want to, I'm not going to audit a bunch of working girls. Yeah. And uh, I just, you know, if I have to chase the money, you shouldn't be working with us. True. And these were people that I know that, you know, the girls and, and the guys. And so we had all sorts of, of weird stuff, but it really was very psychological. Uh -huh. And at the time too, I think I was, I was going to school. Maybe I, I was out by this time, but I was going to school to be a sex therapist. And so it was very interesting to me seeing a lot all of the, overlap, yeah, <clears throat> seeing these, these fetishes and hearing the stories and, um, and hearing the stories from the girls also. 
you know, of things that that they had done to make money because people say, oh, well, that's, you know, that's disgusting and I would never do that. But really, really, would you not? If somebody offered you $500 to pee on them, would you do that? You're asking me See, or you're about it right now? I, I guess I am. Depends I am on who it you. is. But really, I mean, if but that is seen as prostitution. So, you know, when I say I don't really like to call it a service, but that's kind of what it was. We were definitely breaking the law, well, even though these girls were not having sex with these men. It was sexual in nature. The men did often take care of their own needs and, you know, would masturbate to completion or or whatever as the girl is reading the magazine at, across the room. So it it technically was prostitution. I mean, if you're someone who's worried about any sort of, you know, dignity or social more, what are they, whatever they call them, mores or... Morris? you probably shouldn't be involved in that enterprise in the first place. So, uh, you know, yeah, people can say what they want about, Oh, I would never do that. Well then, okay. Then you're probably never going to have to, because you're not going to be in that room. Yeah. You know? And you know, that's another good point too, is could I have made money in another way sure. to, you know, pay for your care and our bills and, and all of that. Yeah, I could have. Would have taken a lot longer and been far more complicated. And you also have to understand that, you know, this was, this was a, I don't know how to put it. It, it was a, a gradual process to get to the point where I'm answering the phone and the guy is saying, yeah, I need so-and-so to come here and, you know, I'm going to wear a scuba mask and I want her to pee on my face. Oh, okay. That's totally normal. And then, you know, what time and what hotel and whatever, you know, I had gone from, uh, losing my virginity by, by being raped at 15 and then being groomed. And, um, I don't know if you would call it, I mean, it wasn't assaulted, but being groomed and manipulated, manipulated yeah. very heavily and having a very unhealthy relationship, uh, with Walter and, you know, then working in, in strip clubs and seeing just the honest exchange, I guess, of money for, for favors or for attention or affection. I always felt like it felt better to me when it than, was a transaction, than the dating, than mm. the manipulation of a guy cheating on me and are my emotions real when, you know, I have to be sweet to him so that he pays for dinner and right. you know, fuck that. I mean, I'll just go and do whatever I need to do and buy my own dinner and not have to worry about his emotions or playing any games and just be straight up about and, and be straight up. But we really do have this thing about prostitution. Uh, certainly. And now with the discussion really going into, you know, sex trafficking more huge difference between prostitution and uh, sex trafficking and strip clubs and sex trafficking. Is there some of that? Sure. But I think if we legalized prostitution and we cleaned up the clubs a little bit, then we could really crack down on on the um, the sex uh, trafficking that, that we're seeing. Certainly an argument for that. Well, I, I think there's an argument for it, but a lot of people don't. They mm. think that the clubs maybe lead to or, you know. If they you have, certainly can, but, you know. How do you think they can? 
Well, because if someone's, you know, working, you're not going to, I would hope, get involved in sex trafficking working at the public library. But if you're, I think for a lot of people, it feels like, well, you've already got your foot in the door. And so then you're going to be exposed to, like you said, you know, a lot of people ask you, how do you even get started in something like that? Yeah. Well, it started in strip clubs. Right. So you're and going you to be that one person. Then you meet right. another person. Then you meet another person. So, you know, do I think that people go looking to steal Liam Neeson's daughter from a strip club? Probably not. Mm -hmm. But is there some overlap? Is that, you know, I don't know. I haven't really spent time in strip clubs. Well, you know, but, for me, I, I did treat the girls well. I didn't ever go recruiting. I, I didn't ever ask somebody. But to, how many people ran it like you? That's the question. Uh, probably no one ever. But my point is, um, not only did I not recruit, I didn't take everybody that came to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I did have a friend, Nikki, yeah. that uh, she asked if she could work for me. And I knew that she was broken in different ways. And this was not going to be good for her. She was not going to be in charge. Um, it was just not going to be something that she Too was fragile, be, no yeah, boundaries, she was not strong and healthy enough to handle <clears throat> being a working girl. And so I told her no. And I told her why I said, you know, this is just not for you. It's not that you couldn't do it and, and be great at it. I mean, I couldn't believe I was having to, you know, I'm sure you're great at blowjobs or whatever it is that you do. You'd be the best blowjob girl out there. Uh, but really, uh, you know, and I said, a lot of it is, is really psychological. You don't have the stomach and, for it. Right. I mean, there's <clears throat> weird shit going on and, and, um, she just wasn't in a good place then and she, you know, drinking a lot and the whole thing. And so she ended up moving to Reno and tried to, I think, be in legal prostitution there mm -hmm. and ended up killing herself. And, um, I don't feel responsible for that at all. And I am very glad that I told her no, because I think otherwise she would have died maybe closer to being on my watch. Mm -hmm. And I, I would have felt awful about that. I, I really did just try to take girls that were already doing it to some extent and give them a structure, give them safety, um, you know, give them other girls the, like I said, a referral network. It, it just turned it into a business instead of these girls out there on their own trying to hustle and stay alive. Well, so what type of characteristics are you looking for for someone who would be a good fit for that? Um, no drugs. Uh -huh. So, you know, you could smoke a little weed right, or but you gotta have a, you gotta be clean. if you're a party girl, this isn't a party. And you're going to get hurt and you're going to put the rest of us into a position. Also, oh my gosh, it's so loud. So also if you, um, now I forgot what I was going to say, cause that's so distracting. Plastic water bottle. Um, uh, oh, I remember now. So also if you're partying, you're, you might talk to people that you shouldn't be. You, you might try to market yourself outside of the referral network because uh, you get greedy because you like drugs because you need more money than what you're making or, you know, whatever. So those people, those people that were greedy, if they were high, if they weren't team players, mm. um, you know, just bad people. Right. Basically, you, you had to to get rid of them right away. 
right away. And, you know, there's a lot of security issue in, in running a service like that too. So at the time I did hang out with a lot of mobsters and <laughs> a lot of very high level mobsters. And I, I think that's why I didn't have any problems you know, referral only. So I didn't have problems with law enforcement and I didn't have anybody trying to, to rob me or kill me or whatever for taking over any of their territory because I was doing it differently. Mm -hmm. And, uh, because, you know, I, I had some heavy hitters in, in my back pocket and your reputation was established. So no, everybody kind of knew not to cross there, those lines. There weren't too many young, uh, hot blonde girls running, um, fetish escort services that were associated <laughs> with the head of the mob. Uh -huh. no, that, that probably would have just been me. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so you did have a, it, it's funny that, like I said, when the, the floodgates open, everything comes to you because you had a babysitter mm -hmm. that was a dominatrix and she was not part of my circle, my girls. Uh, she was actually somebody that I found through the newspaper for babysitting. I, I interviewed her and a couple of different people to be your babysitter when uh -huh. I was going to school. Right. And, um, you know, we got to know each other and, and got to talking. By and the it, way. And it all came out that, well, it's just. Yeah. You recognize it in someone else. You, yeah. You know a hustler uh, when you see one. I did not know, for the record, I did not know whatever weird shit she was into at the time. But was she into it or were the guys into it? I and mean, she was just making the money. Uh, I mean, do you think that that's enjoyable? Like, do you think that there's I something? I don't know. So. I think if you're going to make a decision to make that your job, mm -hmm. you must, you have to have some sort of. Uh, you know, maybe not enjoyment, but at least some sort of need to control men thrill or yeah, it's something. Yeah, there but was it something, is about control. It's there was something the going on there. Even though it's the sex industry, it is about control. And that is why the guys pay for that. It's not okay, but we're not talking about the guys. We're talking about her. Okay. So that's not, so why would it be weird to want control over other people? You said whatever weird shit she was into. I'm not saying it's weird to want control over other people. I'm saying this is the point that I'm making. You said whatever weird shit she was into. Yeah. So if she is the dominatrix, she's not into weird shit other than maybe she enjoys her job of being in control. So you're saying she derives no pleasure from that role. What pleasure do you think she derives? That's what I'm asking. I don't know. I'm not a dominatrix. Yeah, I don't know I don't how think, that works. I don't think working is pleasurable. No, I, I mean, I have stepped in, let's say, to that role uh, in a very temporary way. And no, it's not. I mean, it, it, it's just it's work. Yeah. It's work. But if it's that, if you're already in a situation, you know, where it's that intimate and that you know potentially risky and you're not even it's not even something that you derive any sort of enjoyment from then why do it for years the money okay it's the, good money there are a lot of ways to it's make good. money you can set your own hours you have kids it it's Okay. The money. So she didn't enjoy it whatsoever. But, also, but what you need to understand also was with most fetishes and certainly with domination and submission, uh, 
you have a, a very detailed conversation before about how things are going to go, what they want, what specifically they want and need, not just a safe word, mm-hmm. but you know, what they like, how they want you to do it, how it needs to happen. And so to think that the, the dominatrix or the woman, the person providing the service, which isn't always the woman, because I did have a friend that I would send some of my clients to when they, you know, wanted experience with the man every once in a while, Uh, which I found out that, you know, he was doing that because I dated his neighbor who was also my psychology professor and I was sitting there and I'm watching and it was a Tuesday afternoon and I'm looking at his house and just watching these guys come and go. And I said, yeah, he's a working guy. And, uh, my boyfriend at the time was like, what, like, how, how do you know that? And I said, I I guarantee he's a working guy. I can tell from the the guys that come and go during the day, Tuesday afternoon, he's probably doing loads of sheets right now. And I talked to him later and yeah, so I started referring people to him. But anyway, I got on a tangent. So the, the role that you're playing is very laid out for you. So you're not, it's not about you. You are, it's, it's like taking somebody's food order with this on the side and this and the, you, you don't have to eat that thing yourself to deliver it. You don't have to have any interest in that thing that, that you're putting the order in I understand that. She struck me as the type who might derive some enjoyment from that interaction was my point. Well, I think all of us do, especially considering, you know, once you get to a certain point of experiencing men and some of their bullshit, and I love men more than most women. So this is not a man bashing thing, but does it feel nice to be in control of powerful men? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what type of guys she was seeing in her business interactions, but the guys that I remember her dating, certainly I could see how she would want to flip the script. Well, yeah, they were fresh out of prison. Yeah. Um, she was not always very nice to me. She was always nice to me. Her kids were not, but that we can get into that in a different discussion. But yeah, I do remember her very well. But so you never really know what people, please stop, what people are doing. And these guys that would, you know, hire a girl on uh, their lunch break or whatever, all profess to love their life and or love their wife and not want any problems at home and most of the thing you know with hiring somebody to do any type of fetish work for you you are probably not going to ask your wife or your girlfriend to wear a diaper and sit on maybe ask them once and and (laughs) yeah exactly or you know you're not going to go to a bar and pick up a stranger and ask them to do you know wear a mardi gras mask and crack eggs on me or, you know, whatever it is and then shout German things at me, uh, whatever it is that they want, that is something, it is just much easier to hire somebody lay out. This is what I want. This is what I need. There's no shame in it. You pay for it. You're paying for the service and the confidentiality mm-hmm. paying for the dignity. And, you know, you're getting treated with dignity regardless of whatever <laughs> weird shit, as you say, they're into. That's a, a- so it's worth it to I them. I suppose you could call that dignity. Yeah, yeah. It's worth it to them. So I think it provides a very valuable service, not not just um, you know prostitution, but prostitution in uh, fetishes as well. 
So I know this makes you really uncomfortable and we'll wrap it up. I'm sure we'll um, refer back to this episode time and time again. Lord, I hope not. <laughs> I know. So funny story is how I met husband number two, uh -huh. H2, was I was at a local bar in Kansas City where I would meet up with the girls and they would bring me money. So it was the Saturday night, I think. And um, the girls were, were coming in and we're sitting in a booth and we're talking and they're telling me, you know, how was your night? What did you do? And of course, fetish work, great stories. <laughs> so they're telling stories. And I have somebody at the booth behind us tap me on the shoulder and he says, I, I'm sorry, but are you for real? Or do you just know that I'm eavesdropping? And so you're saying all this stuff. It's like, it's incredible. And I said, well, no, I'm like, we're for real. You know, did you need something? <laughs> and, um, and you know, was totally like joking around. Uh, and he said, well, I, I need you to talk to my friend here. And I said, all right, I don't know what that's about. So the friend ended up being husband number two mm. and at, he sits down and buys me a drink and he says, you know, I, I just got into town. I'm here doing some video work for a big corporation. The first place that we went with the CEO of this big corporation was a strip club and I acted very bored. He had uh, apparently been in pornography, he had produced pornography in the past and had been around strip clubs and strippers and, you know, just like me. Didn't like, phase him. Yawn, right. Not exciting. And so the, the CEO says, oh, you know, you think you could do better? And husband to H2 says, yeah, like I've only been in town for a few hours, but I could probably get you laid within the next, you know, 24 hours if I really tried. So it was this like inside joke that then we sit down, uh -huh. you know, right behind him. Uh, so he said, I need two girls in business suits to be at the presidential suite at the Marriott downtown on Monday morning at 10 o'clock. And, you know, how much do you need for that? So I said, well, what are they doing? You know, because before you just said you're trying to get this guy laid, you're not paying for that. Like that's right. not really that. And I don't negotiate for that. So, um, so he said, oh no, you just, you know, like rub my shoulders. And he said, that's just for your time there. If anybody offers you anything for anything else, that's up to you. But that's just for your time there to make me look like a big deal. And I was like, all right. So we went, I took Kelly. Mm -hmm. I tried to get one of my other girls. Uh, couldn't do it. Couldn't find anyone else. So I had to go. So we throw on suits and we go down there. And um, Kelly ended up taking the CEO into a private room. And then that guy leaves like there. I didn't even know who it was at the time, but you know, the presidential suite has like the big suite where they're doing the editing and stuff. And then the, the bedroom part, I think it was just one bedroom. So later on the camera guy and we're hanging out with the crew and getting along with everybody. And I'm getting to know my, my future husband didn't know that I was going to marry him eight, nine years later, but uh, getting to know my future husband and he's showing me the, the video work that he's doing for this corporation. And they said, Oh, well, we need to get some shots of the city, you know, to, yeah. to splice it in. And so Kelly says, I know the city really well. I'll take the, the camera guy out and we'll go to the state, the stadium and we'll go here and there and get these different things. 
So they did. They went out and they got this footage and she called when they were on their way back. And she's like, I have something really amazing to show you. You know, meet us at the elevator. I said, okay. So she said, you know, bring H2. I won't use his real name. Mm-hmm. And so I did. So we're at the elevator and waiting for Kelly and the cameraman to come up. And when they do and the elevator doors open, she's cracking up. He's cracking up but looking a little concerned and we're like what what did you want to show us and so she pulls her shirt up and she said you know i was just gonna flash you but the elevator stopped a floor early (laughs) and so i accidentally flashed who turned out to be like the vp (laughs) of this company and she said i know you because you know the cameraman's got the big camera so she knows that and the camera guy is getting what he thinks is going to be my future husband's reaction on the camera so she's going to flash him camera guy's going to get the reaction it's going to be this this fun thing stops the floor early female vp not so fun so she says uh you know i know who you are and i'm gonna like i'm gonna talk to your boss and i'm talking to my boss and you're out of here it's totally unacceptable totally unprofessional and of course we're in the bible belt right we're in kansas yeah. city missouri huge corporation and so you know i said I, i'm so sorry and kelly says oh you know i'm so sorry i felt so bad i thought it was going to be funny and so h2 says you know all right let me let me try to work it out i'll i'll talk to the guy and so he calls the ceo and they go and have a drink or whatever in the bar and uh h2 comes back and and we said, you know, how, how did it go? Like, how bad was it? He said, well, you know, he told me that uh, had he not just ejaculated all over your friend's breast two hours earlier, that we probably would have been fired. But since that happened, she saved the deal, saved the day. And so thank you, Kelly. Your tits got us into trouble, but they also they got us out of it. So that was the story of how I met my second husband, who like I said, was uh, an ex-pornographer, and we'll go into that, and all of his wonderful um, other habits as well, because he did he did have a heroin addiction that uh, I don't want to say came and went, but it was, he was clean for a long time, and then being married to me made him want to smoke heroin very quickly, very quickly into the marriage. So we'll, we'll kind of get into that also. So that is the story I can tell by your face. You'd never heard that story. I have heard that story. I just several times, but uh, yeah, it's disturbing every time we're, we're gonna, but we're it gonna... wasn't me. You can be proud of yeah, your mother because okay. I had my suit on the whole time. He didn't even see me naked until like maybe our fifth or sixth date. All righty. We're going to cut it off there. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Hope you had fun. Um, Be nice to your sex worker. Yeah. Tip well. Okay. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Peace out. (laughs) Please make sure to download and listen to SOB on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Don't forget to like and share on social media. This has been a Studio 239 production.